regardless if you call it snot or booger, I have been informed that you need to avoid kombucha at all costs. Hi everyone and welcome to uh, Shut Up Lance. Welcome to Damn it, I'm off my game now. That's awesome. Another episode of 40-ish where, um, where where Tucker and I talk about the over-under of Jason actually trying kombucha because it's the only thing left at his beloved D&W. Well, I just was led to believe within the last few minutes that is it a ball of snot that is transformed into some sort of disgusting beverage. Hey, you made me try bubble tea when it was up in East Lansing. Bubble tea is okay. How do you know kombucha is not? I've been told by many people that kombucha is liquid snot. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. just this just happened, Moody. You were there. <laughs> I don't know. I think you should do it. Am I taking crazy pills? Oh, God. Anyway, uh, welcoming back into the fold, we got uh, John. Yep. And Lance. Yep. And Tucker. Hey, guys. And we're uh, pleased as possible Punch. to welcome snot. Okay. I, it's not <laughs> off the rails to welcome in our, our our guest tonight today to this episode he's the uh well he's got lots of titles right he's co-founder of enterprise marketers ceo of square digital but we know him as jeff julian jeff welcome to the 40-ish podcast hey it's awesome to be here i'm excited to uh to be a part of this great conversation you guys have here and uh, yeah, kombucha is super weird when it grows. It's a bacteria that just blossoms overnight and it looks like snot. Yeah, see, we never grew Kool-Aid, so I'm already having some problems. <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me disgusting this in a can is steeped? <laughs> <laughs> like people intentionally wait for disgusting? I don't, I don't oh, even it's, know. Yeah, several weeks that they'll put it in a, a dark jar and heat it. And then over time, it eats enough bacteria and, and enough sugars. And then it makes fermented tea that uh, just kind of tastes, I don't know. Yeah, it's I've had it once and it's I don't know how you place it. Yeah. I feel like this is kimchi style waiting. That was gonna be my next guess. Ugh. Well, before we get into the conversation as deep as what you just heard, uh Jeff, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and uh what you do? Yeah, so uh I'm a software developer by trade. Uh started full time when I was 17 years old, um, built the first version of what you guys know today as StubHub. Um, so cool. uh, back in the day, we worked for ticket brokers and um, built some very cool software that pissed off a lot of people in the industry. <laughs> uh, we built this awesome exchange of uh, real-time tickets that uh, would compete with Ticketmaster, essentially create a market for it. Um, and then after that, I started a, a software blog community that grew uh, to 4,000 bloggers. And during that time, um, Adam Curry coined the term podcast, and uh, we all kind of took off on it and wanted to hear our own voices, wanted to be internet DJs, um, and, you know, continue to grow into video and do other communities since then. But um, it's been a fun run. Adam Curry, like MTV's Adam yeah. Curry? TV. Mm-hmm. Adam Curry. That's right. Uh, is the yeah. one who coined the term podcast. Because he's got his hand, he's had his hand of the game for a long time, correct? 
Yeah, very yeah. much so. Well, if he coined the term, I think he would. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that, that kind of goes without saying, but especially like if, uh, you know, we're already talking 2005. Yeah, that's yeah. impressive. At the time, you don't have iTunes. Uh, you don't even have an iPhone. True. You have, you know, the iPod was a big thing with a giant wheel on it. Mm -hmm. um, and to get a podcast, you had to figure out how to get a pod catcher to pull the feed to then put it on your device. So um, it was awkward and there was only a few of us at the time. But most people just hit play on a browser and listen to it at their desk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've actually been surprised with doing this podcast for the last year plus uh, how many people actually do listen to the podcast just sitting at their, I, I only do that when I'm catching up on stuff and I can mindlessly like edit video without having to hear the audio when it's just visual stuff. But uh, yeah, that's actually pretty interesting. So yeah. And we didn't have any of these fun USB recording pieces of software or anything like that. We had to have giant mixers with multiple cables and uh, be able to pull people in over real radio, like plain telephone devices and things like that. And you would nice. spend $6,000 just to get four people on a show. Wow. And for five people to listen to. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, a lot of what we're going to ask you about, Jeff, is, is what you're an expert in, and that is branding and marketing and conversations around, you know, good skill sets and things that are uh, effective uses of time for companies and people. But my, I was just kind of scrolling through all the authors on your enterprise marketer going, Coworker, 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 friend, coworker, coworker, coworker. Uh, what is your affliction to people that are just awesome? Yeah, so <laughs> I've actually worked with TechSmith for 14 years now. They were one of the first sponsors of Geeks with Blogs, my community. Um, so Betsy would always Betsy. bring sporks and and stickers and um, and so yeah, it's been a it's been a great time working with uh, TechSmith again. But um, really, a spork. It's it really, is a spork it's a, it's and it's a, titanium. This is, is the really? one wow. of the first two I got um, as a teacher being on an episode of Matt's Forge ep, Forge show. Um, this is one of the ones I got back in 2010, I think. 2000. Well, I had to think I about it. I got two of them just for showing up at the office. Yeah, you did. No. You did. That's very true. Um so actually, before we all came on, Jeff, Lance and I got into a conversation, and maybe you can help clarify this for us, because uh, it leads into one of my questions later on. The difference between a marketer and an advertiser, we were trying to figure out if those lines are blurred or not in terms of what they're trying to accomplish or, or the message they're trying to convey, because, uh, well, like I said, it's going to lead to one of my questions, two of my questions, but I'd wonder if you could walk us through it are they different are they the same does one become another where it, do you stand it's weird because like yeah for the longest time you know we thought advertising and marketers are together they're the same thing um we didn't have this concept of building an audience or creating things that people wanted essentially we wanted to create ads show them things get them to purchase through the ads but that was um, the longevity of the creative, right? The piece that would go out. Um, today, when you think of marketers, you can also start to see the lines blurred on salesmen too. So um, a marketer's out there, they're building a market, they're educating customers, they're bringing in sales. And then for a lot of like SaaS-based companies, their salesman is a form. 
And so um, outside of that, the marketers are the ones that are doing um, the swaying. And so the closest analogy for marketer I like to use is the guy who stands outside of the tax places um, during the springtime with the Statue of Liberty costume, right? You work as hard as you can. You want to get people in the door. You want to make them laugh. You want to entertain them or engage them. Um, but you're willing to stick your neck out to do it. And so that's kind of what the modern digital marketer is all about. See, this makes me think about you, Moody. Uh, mm -hmm. So John is wearer of many hats at the company he works for. And part of it is relations and marketing, um, but has a responsibility for the relationship after getting them in the door, so to speak, right? After it's established. Right. Um, does, does a, a traditional marketer, a digital marketer, marketer step away? Like my job is done, they're in the door and they go and look for the next group of people? Or are they people like, you mentioned Betsy, who was a coworker of mine for years, um, who not only got people engaged and connected in what she did, but then maintained relationships with hundreds and hundreds of people and not like superficial relationships, like honest, deep relationships. Is that gone the way of individuals or is digital marketing changing what that's like? I think, yeah, digital marketing is definitely changing that because we used to have this concept of a funnel where um, there was people outside of the company that didn't know about our company. We wanted to convert them to buyers, and so we needed to pull them through the funnel. The closer they get, the smaller the group gets, but then after they became customers, um, they would then just be pushed off to customer service or sometimes not even related to again at all. Um, but we've learned and everything has kind of adjusted in the marketplace to show that real customers who have purchased from us are easier to get to repurchase from us. Um, you know, if they bought Snagit, will they buy Camtasia? Likelihood is high that they would if we continue to market to them, continue to build relationships with them um, and start to stair step some of our products. So. It depends on the size of the company and how they want to lay out their uh, structure. But in a smaller company, yeah, you'll have marketers that are full life cycle. Um, cool. And just like you have sales guys that they'll call, you know, when something breaks down and, and they have to go, you know, get a fix up. A lot of car dealerships, you know, you might call your sales guy real quick to ask him a question um, because he wants that long-term relationship with you. Right. And caveat, we are not a TechSmith podcast, even I just, though I have that. Yeah, but I, that I'm connecting right that. I'm like, no, what are you reading, Jeff? I don't understand. Yeah. I don't understand. Um, yeah. No, but it's a great product. I mean, it is so evolutionary that you use Snagit, and you're like, oh, look at these great features. I wish I could do more. And then you see Camtasia, you're like, ooh, what's right. this? Mm-hmm. And the price is just a little bit more. You get a little bit extra features. And um, it's a progression uh, purchase. I'm going to ask a question and I want you to become very angry if it warrants it. Okay. <laughs> Marketing must not be a hard job, Jeff, because every time I'm watching a YouTube video, there's a pre-roll of some guy going, listen, you can live just like me because most people suck at marketing, but you can blah, 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 blah. I mean, I was just trying to come up with a list of like 10 names right at the top and then sure. your Kanai or whatever that guy is. And the, the uh, oh, what was or that? The people laughed at me when I told them I was making $200,000 a year on YouTube. Right. Yeah. 
Right. And, and there's a very good reason why we call ourselves enterprise marketer, because there are so many shysters out there that good word. Everything is marketing, right? They think small business owners, let's, let's get them to market. Let's get, you know, the moms who are selling a bunch of stuff that they don't need to be selling. Um, let's get them to be marketers. Let's show people this world of, you know, amazing things and let's teach them the ways of marketing. And, I think they can learn about marketing. I think they need to learn about marketing, but I think you have to do it in the context, context of what a marketing team does. So we don't look at reaching out to those. Those aren't part of our community. We're not looking for people who are small business owners that are doing their own investing and trying to do their own marketing because uh, we have to keep it pure. We have to try to get it as good as possible because, yeah, you can make a lot of money selling a lot of fake stuff Mm -hmm. to people and fake money and uh, now like it, i heard just last week in russia you can rent a plane for like an hour to do an instagram shoot the plane never takes off they have all the the lights and everything outside to make it look like it's in the air and you shoot yourself drinking champagne and all this other stuff um just on the runway so that way you can look like you're living this amazing influencer lifestyle um, and it's just, it's ugly. It's, it's gross. Hmm. That's like, a, apparently like effective. Watching, What's that? That's a, that's like watching a, the, the food commercials where it's like that, that cheeseburger is never going to look like that. It's like, yeah, it's a piece of plastic that's got the uh, wax and, you know, hairspray and <laughs> it's all this other stuff on it. Yeah. Anytime you get excited or angry or, you know, uh, about anything you see on the web, you got to realize that somebody's making money to make you feel that way. Um, so yeah, it's effective because people will click through and they'll try it and they'll buy the get rich quick scheme or they'll figure out how to become a realtor overnight. Um, but you know, only that guy will make money doing it. Everyone else will just lose their pants. You get, you, you can become a realtor overnight. Really? Oh yeah. Where? Yeah. <laughs> Selling property in uh, Florida. I feel like we should totally do that. I got a couple of bridges for you, Lance. Okay. <laughs> I like to listen. This is, for me, realizing this realization just hit me that I've been a federal employee uh, of one way, one form or another for most of my adult life, that marketing is something that you don't really have people doing there are marketing positions for certain agencies but um, most of my time has been in and around the military and the best marketing is probably Hollywood because you know if you're looking to get people through recruiters doors the recruiters they are not marketing experts maybe they ought to start consulting people because uh, you'll get some of the advertising through Hollywood and a little bit of marketing there, but these guys are coming from another career field to just try to entice people to come in and uh, join. So it's interesting where if you're talking about small business and you know, the, the people that have the blood, sweat and tears to make that a go, it's very different from what I'm used to where when there's billions available, uh, you know, again, in one way or another, what, if the government wants to walk away from something, they can, but uh, they need to embrace some of the concepts you've already talked about. And it's it, the person who does the best marketing is the one who can show the best empathy. And one of the things I learned in fifth grade when my friend's dad died of cancer was the difference between the word sympathy and empathy. 
Mm-hmm. Empathy mm. means that you can relate to somebody because you've had an experience that is relatable. Sympathy means you can imagine what it's like to have that relationship. Yeah. Right. So for a marketer, if they have a bunch of sympathy, if I'm, if I'm marketing to truck drivers, but I've never sat in a truck, um, I've never went for a ride, I've never driven a truck, um, it's hard for me to have empathy for the person. So I start to make up stuff and I start to use a lot of stereotypes about how I can reach them. And I might think most truck drivers are dudes and they're burly dudes because whenever I go to a truck stop, that's what I see. But if you sit that high, you'll notice that there's a lot more females in trucking now. There's a lot more um, foreign workers that are truck drivers because they're having a hard time finding truck drivers today. Um, And so new people are coming in. And now how do I reach them? I have to have empathy for what they're going through. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, when you talk about veterans, one of my clients is the VFW. And I've always said very hard for me to figure out marketing plans without going out and reaching veterans and asking them, is this what you want? Because I can't empathize. I never fought in a foreign war. Um, So I can imagine and I could do a good job of sympathizing, but I will never have PTSD because I was, you know, in Afghanistan and Mm -hmm. I saw my buddy die. That's just, that's not something I can relate to. Yeah. And it's interesting for the, the other agencies that are not necessarily military. It's another, it's just such a big beast that, um, you know, you're, you're not look. you don't have that person standing outside in the uh, Statue of Liberty costume trying to get people to come in one way or another. It is, it is so much word of mouth when you, you hear about, um, you know, typically the job security and the good vacation because, are you going to get rich? No, not necessarily. There could be decent money there, but uh, yeah, finding <laughs> finding sympathy or even the empathy for people that can show up, work 40 hours a week and bring home a paycheck and not necessarily perform uh, the entire time. That's uh, That takes a special kind of person to try to, to spin that one. Yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons that you have to love, uh, you know, I, I use the word love and I try to use it fully that you have to love the people you're marketing to. Sure. Because if you don't, if you have disdain for them or mm-hmm. you have pity for them, you're not going to relate to them. Um, and you're going to create content that's going to be um, very much like authoritarian, like, Hey, you need to know this. Let me teach you how you dumb idiot. Um, and that's not going to work either. No. So you have to hit the mark with your, with your marketing. Our uh, our market our persona is still a thing in the digital marketing world. And for those who don't know what personas are, I've only learned this through. It, it's developing the uh, a target audience in your vertical or whatever of, of a person that actually would exist there in the world with certain characteristics that go along with it. I, I've seen it done. I've seen it done well. I've seen it done questionably. Is it still? Are those still a thing? Are they something you can pull out of the closet and use again? What What's your experience with using personas to market okay. something? So personas should be used in the entire organization. Um, salespeople need to use personas. Developers, software developers need to use personas. Marketers need to use personas because they are our gateway into what our target customer looks like. And and the way they work is you pick a handful of demographics or psychographics of how do they feel, where do they live, what makes them unique, and what would make them bunch into a group together. So if I'm going for, you know, home-based businesses um, that are run by um, a stay-at-home, you know, uh, parent, um, that 
that adds enough dimension to a group of people that I could start to try to identify problems that they face and ways we can solve those problems if I'm going down the educational route or ways they like to be entertained in times of day that makes sense to interact with them. So you might have a, you know, a quiet podcast that, um, that you make sure it sounds great in ear pods, but it's not like so loud that you're going to wake a baby or something like that. Well, we do have the ASMR side project we're thinking about. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and so that's what a persona is good for. Now, like you said, like people have been using this for a while and trying it. They, the reason they fail significantly is because the first thing we do is make up a bunch of shit we think we know about them. Mm -hmm. rather than build up a group of people who fit that and start to get some steering committees and ask them, survey people to figure out what they're going through. And then a persona is based off a person. So that person has to be living in six months. Things have changed. Devices are different. Um, people are interacting with each other differently. And so the problems change. And so we need to make sure that those things are living, breathing documents in the organization. But nobody does it. Everybody just makes up shit and then they throw it down and say, mm -hmm. okay, that, we did a good job. We did an exercise. It's kind of like a vision statement or a mission statement. Mm -hmm. Right. Good stuff. <clears throat> nobody lives by it in the end. Yeah, that was one of those. We had a, uh, an agency write up a mission statement for uh, our company. And it was kind of that same thing. It's like they were not musicians. They didn't understand this at all. So I actually rewrote it one night send it over to my dad to just edit, send it off to everybody. And they were like, wow, this is really great. Who wrote this? And I was like, uh, the guy that uses the strings. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you sent, you went to a third party, John, to have somebody write a mission state or a vision statement. Well, we, for... we do have it. We do have an agency we work with. Okay. And stuff like that. So yeah, a lot, of, a lot yeah. of companies do the, you know, have. And I mean, they've done a lot of really great consulting stuff companies. for us, especially in terms of, um, campaigns to keep a good consistent look and things like that to really keep things focused but oh see, the main, i understand I yeah the main that. ideas yeah. and stuff behind it though because um you know they're not as familiar with the company and they're not musicians uh you know falls on the people in-house or i should say usually falls on me sure and most of <laughs> you are the people in-house Right. <laughs> Most people who have started a business know that this is like the fifth business, but it's all under the same company, but they've had to change shit so much. They don't even know why they started or what the current iteration is. So it is right. helpful to have people come in and say, Hey, help us figure out who the hell we are now. Yep. Yep. Digital marketing. Is it strictly images? Is it primarily video? Is it some audio? I've, I've been trying to figure out, um, this that's where the part of the marketing slash advertisement came into play. Like knowing your data and hitting the people at the right time of day and all that kind of stuff and when to send out emails, that definitely feels like marketing, but man, it's hitting pretty hard and it's giving me the feels when companies or products hit me and I'm like, Oh, why was I just thinking about that? I mean, we're talking more, more or less, less uh, Amazon has been tracking what I'm looking for. And like, I'm thinking about a belt and all of a sudden I'm going to go buy a belt. Frankly, I am going to buy a belt, but uh, I mean, <laughs> you said it. So now my Amazon thinks I'm buying. Exactly. Is, is right. Google listening? Suddenly everybody's belt, got belts coming up. <laughs> Slide belt. That's the thing. Check it out. Oh, shoot. Well, see, now I'm marketing for them. Slide belt. Wait, it's the brand or an anomaly? You can get those at Kohl's. 
I saw oh, them. And Marshalls. You can get them at Marshalls. And, with uh, the clicky thing on the back? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, shit. Yeah, I, got to, I got one the other day for like 12 bucks. Oh, shit. Anyway, uh, yeah, Jeff, uh, my life primarily is video and audio. So I've been wondering, we talk about and you hear about video being the thing. Is it the thing? I would say who's the target audience. So like, let's go back to that truck driver example. Sure. We had a truck driver on a few episodes ago. So they can drive over on the road for eight to 12 hours. Right. And then after that, they have to stop. If they're consuming video during that time, they stopped. Great. Let's do video. Let's make a series that they can get into. They can share with their buddies. They can use their little Bluetooth headsets and talk to each other. But are they going to bed? Are they already talking? Are they doing something else? Are they calling their family? Are they going to sleep? And if they are, then maybe audio is the way we reach them. So while they're driving, we're talking to them through their speakers. But we definitely know that print is not a great way because they're moving around so much, they're never going to get the magazine or they're never going to get the newspaper. So the way you reach people with marketing is all based off of when they're going to consume that content, and you'll hear the word content often now in marketing, it just means anything, um, when they're going to consume that content, and how much attention are they going to give it. Um, Facebook, you'll scroll by Facebook, and they'll count a view as three seconds. So if you're just scrolling, you let go of the mouse for a second or two, and then you scroll again, that person might register a view. Um, hmm. So that that's going to make them feel good. That's going to make them feel like they're getting reached, but really you never saw it. You never gave it your full attention. Um, so video fails in that scenario because it requires full audio and visual attention to, con to consume that content, to learn from it. But if you are there and you are listening and watching, then it's the best content to use because you have that person's full attention. Um, where if you're using text or a graphic or something like that on Instagram, they might just flick by, makes them feel good for half a second, a little bit of chemical get released in their brain and then they move on. Um, but there's not really any like long-term effect of that content for that person. So it's, everyone's different. And that's why, you know, most marketers, especially in the digital realm, um, suggest trying several things, finding out what works and then build on that. Um, so this podcast is marketing in the end, it's not used for marketing today, but one of these days you guys might put out a shirt or you might sell a sticker online and guess mm -hmm. what's going to be the marketing that sold the shirt and the sticker, this podcast. Mm -hmm. John, you want to get out the stickers for me? Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need a sticker. Yeah, stickers are awesome. Well, we started putting laptop stickers on before anybody else really did. Um, nice. And people were so, like, they would look at it and go, you put that on your work laptop and people didn't get mad? It's like, we, no, just stick it on your damn laptop. And so we yeah. we'd <laughs> put them on. Um, but yeah, it was cool to be the only people with stickers on the laptops. Back I, I still want to find the sticker I saw one guy have at one conference eight years ago. It was a sticker, a big, bold sticker on his laptop that simply said, I hate stickers. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. 
the anti-sticker the anti-sticker and it was just big and bold and there was no chance you weren't seeing the fact that this guy hated stickers in sticker form it was beautiful (laughs) but like another great example of like marketing gone wild is red bull so if you guys have seen like any extreme sports or red bull tv or some of these other videos of the dude jumping out of the you know the airplane at however many miles above oh felix baumgartner yeah exactly Mm -hmm. all those things are part of red bull media house and it was started as their marketing team to help sell their cola um, or their their energy drink and then they started to go to events and hand out energy drinks and have these cars that look like little red bull things Um, and then over time the media house actually grew to be larger than the soda side of the house so they Hmm. sell and make more money off the media the marketing than they do the drink that's um, awesome. I think that's similar to the 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 chive. I think has got uh, something similar to that um, out of uh, Austin, Texas. There. Yeah, and so it's it's one of those super cool things that when you start to think about how you're going to market to people, how do you make your marketing so valuable that somebody wants to pay for it, um, or actually just finds it valuable to where they share enough with their friends and then they want to pay for it? And that's like that the merch table at a, a great concert. You know, when there's a mm-hmm. line going around the building for it, they're making a lot of money on that. And so soon, the concert becomes the thing that they are selling. And the music is the marketing. Um, and we used to think of it the other way around, that the music was the thing that they were selling and the concert was the marketing or the concert was the um, experience. But now the moneymaker is in the, the event. The $200 I play, paid a couple weeks ago to see Kiss, um, that is the ticket item. The music's just the marketing. Hmm. Here's a random band inclusion. Uh, Insane Clown Posse has that exact marketing scheme where it's cheap to get into the shows but you want their merchandise and the only place you get it is at their shows yeah unbelievable in 2016 50 cent he was trying to make his comeback and so he decided to open up his website to offer bitcoin as a way you could pay and he made two hundred thousand dollars in Bitcoin. Turned it around and made like sixteen million whenever it blew up. Nice. <laughs> he was thinking forward. He was thinking about, you know, how do we how do we make this thing a, a long term kind of sales uh, pattern? So I was at my uh, my son's swim practice earlier this evening and listening to music as I always do. And I've been finding a little bit of. Uh, uh edm dance music and stuff and there's often for those who listen those who even don't listen it's a meme there's usually a drop right at some point the bass kicks in and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose and everybody's going nuts in your world and in the world around us who would you describe what product what company had something you would say as a marketing drop like a like it just was so massive of a hit that it transcended things. Have you had that experience as with one of your clients or a company that you may have just seen from afar that you were like, Oh my God, they got it. And it worked. Yeah. And I, I think it's when that happens, usually it's a complete mistake. Um, it was never <laughs> like their intention. And the one I always go back to is the ice bucket challenge. That oh, yeah. funny. Mm-hmm. That now they're actually finding like they're tr- starting to find ways to cure ALS um, and they've spotted the gene and they've done all this other stuff with the money they raised from people spreading their message with their marketing message by pouring ice on each other. 
Um, no one's been able to recreate it, right? Every nonprofit in the world wants to be the ice bucket challenge. Right. Um, but the, it had, it was them and it had to be just that one time effort. And then after that, it's, you know, it'll go away, but you'll see those successful things like that, that are just amazing. Like, um, I know the uh, Be the Match did the lemons for leukemia that got national coverage, but I don't think it was anything like. No, the, right. Everybody that, was doing uh, the ice bucket challenge. Proverbial lightning yeah. in a bottle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some of the other examples, like the the Oreo example of uh, Dunk in the Dark after the lights went out in the Super Bowl. Um, those are like nobody went out and bought Oreos, right? <laughs> well, I right. did, but I would buy Oreos. Well, like, so. It wasn't like they were already going out to buy the Oreos. They weren't like, you know what? <laughs> it wasn't a special trip. <laughs> Burger yeah. King tried to snipe McDonald's customers by giving them a free Whopper if you open up the app at a McDonald's like, a few months ago, but it didn't change Burger King's, you know, stature in the market um or you know even wendy's being super snarky on their twitter handle Mm -hmm. um, that's you know it's people aren't like choosing making lifestyle changes because of that so right uh, there's a lot of things that are considered marketing but really they're just pr um which is a whole nother ball of wax yeah that's a third PR marketing and advertising. Yikes. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. And then there's internal communications where, you know, internal marketing, you should always be recruiting your employees. So you need a marketing team dedicated to that. Um, there's so much mm-hmm. that goes into um, keeping people aware of your brand and getting them to continue to do business for you or continue to work for you. Um, there's lots of stuff out there. Is your, I mean, I don't think your background is in marketing, right? You went to school to be a, a, a dev, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm still a software developer. I build apps all day. I spent 10 hours a day working on uh, mobile apps and services and all this other stuff. Um, but when we started Geeks with Blogs, um, it grew and I had to learn how to become a writer. Um, because blogging was our platform and Mm -hmm. then I had to convince all my other friends to come so I had to become like this community leader and then I had to convince them to write and and get them to build a brand for themselves and a voice and then I had to go out and find people to read um, this content and then we had two million visitors coming um, every month and at the time that was a lot um and so I found myself, I'm selling ads to TechSmith, you know, <laughs> during my break or something like that while I'm still writing software. And I was a full-time marketer, um, but I never considered myself one. Um, and our industry took a major shift. So when you build websites and mobile apps and things like that, 10 years ago, we built it strictly for IT teams. They were who bought this stuff. You know, nobody talked ones and zeros in the organization and a marketing team would say, hey, we need something. The IT team would say, okay, we got this. And they would be who we interface with. Today, all the line of business departments are the ones that are purchasing software. So the accounting team decides what the accounting package is. And the marketing team decides what the website is. So they make the purchase decision. So me as a person with the largest software developer community at the time, had no one to sell to anymore that was coming to our site because marketers didn't read our blogs. It was super technical stuff. So I went from having an audience that was awesome and I could sell to, to having an audience that I couldn't sell to anymore. I couldn't address with our product. Uh, So I had to reach over into the marketing world, become a marketer um, and start to offer content and education, entertainment in that world. 
and I like to use video and I like to use, you know, multi-camera setups and giant rigs and podcasts and thing like that, things like that that other people aren't doing because I am so technical, I can figure it out and make it all work. Nice. Yeah. And my, you know, when I was back when I was 17 as well, I had a friend who was a DJ and he let me um, come in and do sets for him while he'd go upstairs and drink or watch a comedy show or something like that. And so I learned how to, you know, how to, how audio equipment worked, how mixing worked, how performing for an audience worked. Um, and it made me just fall in love with that world of, of, making people happy about something that you're doing more than just writing software. Have you ever tried, have you ever tried that? What? And, you know, to be in that, uh, to be in that situation? To be a DJ? No, no or, oh, or to be any, in any type of avenue where you're performing something, you know, be it a DJ or, you know, acting or. Oh, know. sure. Yeah. So I do a lot of photography too. Um, and so, um, you know, shooting weddings for people or, you know, one of the things we do, we take our family to Poland every year and we teach at an English arts camp and I'm the camp photographer. So I'm teaching a bunch of kids who know a little bit of English and a lot of Polish, how to shoot their, their camera. Um, but then also shooting the, the, the photos for the camp. Um, so I like to, to find different ways to, to engage with creating content that that's beyond just software and marketing and selling right. things. What, uh, what part of your existence professionally or personally gives you the most joy? I mean, it sounds like you got your hands in a lot of different things and, uh, uh, in a creepy stalkery way. I know you just came back from Poland. I mm -hmm. thought that was, I, I was waiting to get the story on that. I'm like, that's, not a normal ca casual thing that looks like something yeah. they've thought out right so yeah what aspect of your professional and personal life gives you that most joy what what would you do if everything else had to go away yeah so hold on to being a solopreneur so before i had a business partner um we closed down that business it, it went the shit real quick um and so being able to be independent and free of where I work. So we have an RV, we travel a lot in the RV. Um, I know how to take an internet connection and make it work. If there's a signal within 10 miles, I can get strong signal um, by going outside and MacGyvering a bunch of stuff. Um, but we can, I can go anywhere, take our kids, we homeschool the kids now, um, and customize a curriculum that works for them. I can bring them to an event and have them work with us. So my kids, they know how the switchers work. They know how to hook up all the cameras. They know how to operate the cameras. They know how to prep a person for an interview um, and all these other things because, well, we put them to work, you know, that's mm -hmm. the family business. Um, so I think that's probably the best part is being able to um, not be tied down to a desk, um, be able to work with people and they know how our lifestyle is um, and they can trust me so I can go out and go to different events um, and do things without STEM knocked down in their curriculum. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things like my son had an IEP um, and that's a, a, he has a learning disability and we tried for years to get the schools to figure out how he learned um, and no one would spend the time um, or they just didn't have the resources to do it. And so we ended up, 
donating $120,000 worth of services to build a mobile app just to allow the teachers and the parents to communicate. Wow. So we could get the spelling list of my son because his was custom and no teacher would ever send it to us. And then by the time we finally learned what the spelling words was, he has the test the next day. We couldn't give him that time he needed to learn because it takes him a few times to mm -hmm. get it. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, all right, let's solve the problem. Let's use technology um, to, to fix this thing. And then over time, we once it got to middle school, it was just a fiasco. Um, so we're like, let's just take it back home. Let's do this thing. Um, and like my book on agile marketing, we incorporated the agile technique in our school and the way we, we teach the kids. So they learn how to plan, they learn how um, change happens and how we need to address that, but then also to know what's coming up um, in, our in our days. So it's worked out really fun. But yeah, last month I traveled five months of the year away Ooh. from um, And I never, you know, skipped a beat. I was always able to get to Starbucks somewhere and get to work. You mentioned something just a second ago about change and adapting to change. I mean, with your, with your experience and what you've been doing for pretty much your career, what, what is the biggest, I wouldn't say challenge, but what's the biggest point that you've seen um, of either contention or of a, um, a, a positive point of the, the change that you've seen in your industry? And how, how have you adapted to that? Cause I'm, I'm a big change. Uh, you know, I, I, my, at my company, I, I'm one of the change adapters or changed uh, ambassadors and stuff. So whenever there's a change, major change, they'll, um, you know, I'll be part of that, that process. But what, what's the, some of the stuff that you, you've seen in, in your adapting to, to that change that you've seen in your career? Yeah, I think we've had this, 15 years of just doing the exact same thing. The devices are just getting faster. I mean, you remember like the Pentium 2 came out and then the Pentium 3 and then it was 400 megahertz then it's 533, then 600. And it was just like this slow progression. And then after we got over that, then it was the amount of RAM we had. And then after that, it was the resolution our monitors had. But in the end, we're still surfing the web hosted by HTML pages with pretty graphics and GIFs. I mean, GIFs, the worst way to transfer <laughs> an image is the most popular way to transfer an image. And so we've been stuck trying to figure out how the hell to do this internet thing. Our phones are just tiny computers, but they're, you know, we've, they've sucked all our attention. And then we've got this amazing thing coming out with AR and VR that I think will change the way we all work together and and it will change the environment and so um, that's for me incorporate that with AI in the way we can do um, image recognition the way we can do um, audio interpretation now with 360 audio um, and the way that we're starting to build things based off of people who have needs to then help uh, the bigger need of the environment. So if like Microsoft, they showed off the other day, they have um, this HoloLens set that can do 360 audio all around. So, mm -hmm. and it can say, here's a building coming up and it's to the right. So I'm going to set off a little beacon that will let the, a blind person hear where the building is. So up in the front right area of their mind, it sounds like that's where it is. 
Um, and so as they walk, the beep starts to move around so they know where to go. And then it can also signal them there's a stop sign um, in front of them. And you're like, wow, that's great. Blind people need that stuff. But then you stop and think of all the other people who are out walking around with their faces and their phones, crossing the road, getting nailed by cars. That same technology can be integrated into their device to say, stop, jackass. Look mm-hmm. up. You're going <laughs> <Right>. to die. <laughs> and so all these things. Yeah, that's the uh, Samuel Jackson download that you get for that. (laughs) Exactly. So all these things that we're starting to see pop up, the ability to auto tag friends and things like that, will be incorporated into the future devices that we have when we get our heads out of the screens. When we quit thinking of the internet as a way to deliver HTML to people, but rather as a way to transmit data and to get sensors and the Internet of Things to come together. that's where it's going to be. We have three VR headsets here. Um, we are all about VR. My kids were in our in an RV in a trailer park playing VR just like uh, Ready Player One uh, two years ago. Um, so it's. I think that's going to be the thing that changes the future. Um, and uh, you know. We just got to continue to let the devices, just like the phones. Um, it took phones forever, you know. I had a, a smartphone and it was a smart device. You hooked a modem to it, so you hooked your actual phone line in it to get it on the internet. I had that in like 1998, and it was 2008 before the iPhone came out. Mm-hmm. So it'll be a while, but I think that's really where we're going to start to see some jazz played. Nice. I mean, lot, not a long way to go or short time to do it in in terms of people being um, creative and actually getting out in that space and seeing what's possible. So, so like my, last week, Microsoft launched their HoloLens 2, and it's AR, um, or mixed reality, so you see mm-hmm. through it, and then they project holograms on these little laser screens that are in front of you. Um, and those holograms know how far they're supposed to be out based off of all these cameras that build this little mesh room as you walk around. Mm-hmm. And so it looks like it's on a table. Um, and they came out and somebody said, is this a consumer device? And it's 3,500 bucks for one of them. And they're like, absolutely not. We don't want this to be a consumer device. We didn't create this to be a consumer device. This is a computer for everyone who is a worker who can't use a computer. So if you're a factory worker or you're a mechanic, now you get heads-up displays. You get visual representations of the manuals. You get the ability to use the cameras to see where the problems are and get actually the ability to use a computer um, where you never would go to a keyboard. If you're a doctor, don't go to a keyboard and search things. You use your voice and it will show up on your screen or your buddy in in Italy shows up on your screen and he's watching the surgery too and actually, you know, having the robotic arms be controlled by him um, all through these future computers that we wear on our heads and, and augment our reality. Yeah. It's it's funny you said that because I was just, I was going to mention the company you work for is one, you know, one of the uh, most innovative healthcare companies in the world. And uh, some of the innovations that we're coming up with are, you know, are this, or is this, you know, AR and VR kind of, you know, patient care. And that's so, so interesting to see, to see that and, you know, to see where that's coming from and where it's going to go. So 
Yeah, and then, I mean, as scanning technology, as the ability to diagnose things with a pill um, start to come out, right? Dogs that can sniff out cancer, all these different um, things that start to happen and we start to incorporate AI on it, mm -hmm. um, right? So here's what a data set of a whole bunch of people with cancer and then here's all their other, um, you know, chemicals and DNA and all these other strands. We throw that to the cloud and that's really where the cloud power is. We throw that to the whole bunch of machines that are connected we can start curing things right the whole genome mm -hmm. project and the way that's all going that's all amazing ai and hypercomputing, and we're stuck here playing with our phones you know candy crushing looking at facebook and instagram all night thinking that this is cool technology no no it's it, i'm glad people are healthy but where's my jetpack that's, yeah. that's what i want yeah I think I'd be a horrible person with the gym. No, I wouldn't make it 10 minutes and I'd be smacked into a tree. I've I mean, I'd, I'd settle for those uh, self-lacing Nikes. Yeah, oh, that'd be good too. The hoverboard? Nope, nope. No. Just, just the shoes. Hybrid, the hybrid yeah. apps. I, They're out. I'm, yeah. I'm, done, um, I'm done tying my shoes. So. Yeah, I'm kind of quit bending over. You don't have Velcro yet? You're not or that slip, old yet? Slip-ons. Slip-ons. Yeah. I mean, cowboy boots no. are kind of there. So, I mean, I'm doing all right, but. Yeah. Um, so, we're getting close to the end, Jeff. And so, the question I was going to ask you is, you're talking about, like, future development, what's possible, what's out there. Um, jetpacks. 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 <clears throat> Kombucha, throwback from earlier. Um, uh, there's the crux. Yeah, the crux of it. Well, we haven't used that in a long time. Uh, anyway, here we are. Um, There's a throwback. All right, game over. It... <sighs> <laughs> How long can we delay the final question? Oh, I'm going to take a nice, slow... Lance's butter, because he's on a roll. <laughs> Marketers. There's a lot of conferences out there. Content Marketing World uh, is the one that always pops in my brain as a primary example. Do... You think the future of marketing and sharing of ideas and stuff like that is collaborative or are marketers out for themselves? They're out like, like teachers would the sincere, the most sincere flattery thing in teaching is to steal because you think someone else's idea is so good that you can adapt it to your own. Is that true in the marketing world or people all get together going, that's a great idea. And all of a sudden 50 companies do the exact same thing at the exact same time with the exact same intent. I would say so, but it's different. Okay, so um, if you're a marketer, turn this off. I'm on a bad talk, um, bad mouth our industry. Um, so <laughs> software developers love writing software. It's in our DNA. Like we'll write software in the evening. We'll write software for charities. We'll write software for fun. Like if something sucks on our desk, we'll write software to fix it, right? We love software. Um, it's something we want to learn. Right now, the one of the mobile app platforms sent an email last week that said, hey, we've got a new release out, and we're so excited about the way we're going. We're going to have a full, like, functional version every six months. So every six months, they're going to change things so significantly, they're going to have to do a full new version from four to five. And this is the speed of software. So if you're in the industry, you have to continually learn and grow. On the marketing side, the world isn't necessarily so excited about doing it, right? We don't go home and think of ways we can market to people. We don't go home and watch advertisements or, or consume educational content on marketing. 
Um, if you go to nearly every single marketing community's YouTube channel, you'll see hundreds of views on their videos. Um, and not thousands or millions um, because people, they go home and then they just go home. Right. Oh, right? uh, it's right. so like a mm -hmm. lot of marketing conferences. They do it in like places where people can bring their families because they have to treat it like a vacation or yeah. um, they'll meet in the morning because that's the best time that people will give up the time in their day to do something educational. Um, but there's no amazing magazines there's no amazing communities where marketers are sharing their ideas and they're they're building up each other uh, it's just not there because the average marketer could give two shits about um what's new and what's exciting and why they should do it um, because it's not something that you know they went to their guidance counselor when they were 12 and said i want to be a marketer when i grow up right um, I did that when I was to be a software developer, right? It was something cool. I wanted to do it. Um, and they figured out a plan for me. But marketing is kind of something that people fall into. Um, and so, yeah, our industry is super slow. And it's going to take time. And it takes things like events like this to get us excited I like content marketing world or something on the big scale because it's got big lights and lots of people um, and lots of things to do where, you know, sitting down and reading a book on marketing just is not something they're willing to do. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. Well, Jeff, I got to tell you, we really appreciate your time for coming on the podcast today. And yeah, this has been eye-opening. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot of enlightening things. So before I say goodbye to everybody, I'd love to ask everybody the same question. Uh, we're going to start with Tucker and then end with Jeff. And it's simply this, uh, right off the top of your head, your most overused or overrated word or phrase used in marketing that you've either listen to or you've just heard too many times and we'll 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 blur the lines into advertisement since we may not be able to decipher the difference between the two uh i i don't want to knock on lance because i know where it's coming from but i think change is overused however there is a necessity for um some kind of adaptation to alter the progress to actually change in order to keep things moving um so i'm glad that organizations are out there and they recognize that the status quo isn't always a good thing. But yeah, I, I think um, there is an overuse of the term change without really knowing where it's coming from or what it's going to do for you in the future. Fair. Uh, Lance. I, I mentioned it in earlier, you know, when I said it, but I think innovation is, is one because I think companies need to, be, uh, you know, need to be on that cusp, and uh, you know, of that new technology and that new thing. Um, I just think that innovation is, to me, is is kind of, it's given. I mean, like, like Tucker was saying. I mean, you can't change. I mean, you can't you can't get to tomorrow without changing something. You know what I mean? And so, it, it, it takes an innovation is that change and so you know to go along with what tucker said about about that word change i think innovation is also something that is overused because i mean we have to innovate i mean we've we've evolved as people and in, in doing what we're doing and so and it takes innovation to do that i mean it's like you know you would take a, a a stone and a stick and make fire and so it's it's 
Yeah, that's innovate. That's innovative. And so we have to, like I said, we have to get to tomorrow. And in order to do that, we have to change. So I, I would say innovation is probably the word that I would say is sometimes overused. Moody. Um. Well, first, I was thinking of being innovative by changing my underpants tomorrow. <laughs> so, is that how you get to tomorrow? That that's how I change. What, that's the result of getting right. to tomorrow's changing your shorts. Exactly, it's changing it. your shorts. Literally, okay. no. Okay. Um, kind of along the same lines, I would use game changer. Oh, uh, yeah, because I mean, especially in the music industry, it seems like everybody, you know, and I, I'm two months out of coming to our from our annual convention. Uh, and everyone comes out with something that like, this is a game changer. It's like, really? Did it completely change how you play the instrument? Yeah. Then it's not. Then it's not. You just did something that's a little cooler. Or are you, but it you goes know. to 11. Right. <laughs> right. Or somebody comes out with like an effect pedal of like, this is a game changer. I was like, really? Does it, do you, do you do something else other than stepping on it with your foot to turn it on and off? Then no, you didn't do anything amazing. Yeah. That, that's, uh, that's I do one. like, that's a good one. Yeah. <clears throat> mine is probably um effective or effectiveness you can't you can't decide if something's effective without having some some qualifying data behind it like you can't say this is an effective way or the effectiveness of applying this i'm like you can't just say that so four to five dentists doesn't really qualify no i'm, I'm not down with that because you know that one dentist wasn't <laughs> even asked he just like screw him Nobody Maybe the one dentist is a dick and he's like, do whatever you want. I don't care. I'm not talking to you again. I'm not signing your form. <laughs> just brush your teeth with Paladin. I don't care. It's, it's, it's such a generic term to me because you can't measure effectiveness for everybody. It's only measured based on what individuals can do. It's like the term, I mean, I work in video. It's the term edit. What does it mean to edit a video? make one small change that's different from the raw file is that an edit or is it making it grandiose and beautiful so i effective or effectiveness i just bs right there so. <laughs> you know what also upsets jason meyer, meyer. i hate meyer. <laughs> meyer can kiss my, my. <laughs> and my word would have to be disruption uh it goes along with change. oh yeah yeah mm -hmm. and the startup world or just anywhere you know airbnb disrupted the hotels and uber disrupted it's like no they didn't they just continued to do the things that other people weren't willing to do it wasn't a disruption it wasn't amazing that you could rent a person's house on a website people were doing that all the time it's just the culture changed people were more willing to um, look outside the box and then it happened uh, but it wasn't mm -hmm they weren't going out there to stick it to the man and be a like a revolutionary thing it was just it was time that things changed yeah and then we made it easier with these uh aforementioned devices so yeah awesome well gentlemen my thanks to john and lance and tucker and our guests today jeff for being on the 40ish podcast hey jeff if people are interested in following your adventures or learning more about your company where can they find you in the ether yeah i'm pretty much jay joyan um everywhere because i was on those platforms early um and then enterprisemarketer.com is where you can get more of our content uh the podcast or the videos that we do um and to see a lot of the techsmith folks um join our shows too most of the I techsmiths 
not 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 all the, the not not all. Of them. <laughs> I'll put this content on it, and you'll be there. I, I I'm telling you, is maybe you got to be a marketer. Maybe I'm not in the in club, but um, I'm working on it. I'm working You're on not it. in any club, Jay. Don't you know? Hair club for men, you jackasses. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even go there. That was on you this time. It was a promotional video I rewatched today. I'm like, you're a son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Piece of crap. So. You're talking about marketing. Here's a spray can of the hair. No, I'm not Ron Co. We're not going there. <laughs> it was that GLH, a great looking hair. That can't, I don't know what that was. It, just, it wasn't kombucha, I'll tell you that much. Anyway, <laughs> gentlemen, thanks again for tonight. And if I don't talk to you before, I'll catch you in the next one. Thanks, Dave. Good. <laughs>